Clemson are your defending national champions, and life is good. Welcome back, friends. We are fresh off the 29-23 Clemson victory in Glendale over Ohio State. I'm your host, Nick, and excited to be recapping this Fiesta Bowl game with my co-host, Ben and Cody. Sam could not join us tonight. Shout out to Sam. We're recording a little bit late, so uh, he being on the East Coast could not make this one. We'll have him on soon. But uh, we've got a otherwise pretty full house here tonight. Uh, boys, how you doing a few days removed from that stunning game? I think I'm still emotionally drained from it, man. Like that one, that one took its toll. I'm glad we have uh, two weeks here to recover before we go down to New Orleans and have to play LSU because, I mean, not only did we have a tough game against Ohio State, but you saw what LSU did to Oklahoma before that. So, you know, you get out of this one, you feel good that we came back and won, but now you look at the monster we have to go up against and uh, it's going to be a tough hill to climb. Yeah, it felt like a national championship game in, in some ways. It felt a lot like 2016, and emo- like emotionally it felt like that. So it, it, uh, you're right, Ben. Um, it took a lot out of us. It took a lot out of the players too, man. The guys were getting injured right and left. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that the four, I guess that's 16 days is built in between semi and final. And yeah, uh, so it's, it, it, it's quite shocking that we came out of that game without any significant injuries. Yeah, I mean, none that have been reported yet, and um, certainly there were some in the game, but the guys, you know, most of the star players, at least, T. Higgins, Justin Ross, et cetera, managed to come back in and, and continue to play. But um, I think, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at it, both benefit to Clemson's players on the recovery angle and then the coaching staff in preparation for LSU too. Yeah, I mean, that's going to help. Uh, you know, we're going to see a different, uh, a more 
pass first offense with LSU, although Ohio State passed the ball a lot more than we thought they would, um, really playing a lot of, of tempo there. Um, and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we knew kind of what we were going to get with Ohio State and the, you know, the, the line about uh, LSU's defense all season is that it hasn't been that good. But if you look at them lately, they've actually played a lot of really good defense. And if you um, read up on them, you know, they were missing some guys early in the year and they really feel like they're, they're healthy now and playing a lot better. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't take LSU's defense for granted. No, fair enough. And I, I've said, you know, what was it against Ole Miss when they were blowing teams out and the defense wasn't playing so so hot? Like, don't take it with a grain of salt because once you're up by, you know, 35-7, the defense doesn't have the same fire and backups come in. It's the same thing Clemson goes through. That said, the LSU defense, luckily, is is not on the same level as the high State defense. Um, and, and I'm a you know, I'm a big advocate. I like Derek Stingley and Grant Delpit. Not the same as Ohio State. That was our biggest ta- challenge there. Fortunately, the, uh, the guy on the other side of the ball, Joe Burrow, is, is pretty darn good. Well, guys, before we uh, – this is, this is our recap of the Fiesta Bowl. I think uh, we certainly want to come back at you and look ahead to the championship game. And I think each of us wants to revisit LSU's season a bit. Um, I know I'm going to go back and look at games like the Alabama game and the Florida game um, just to try to understand this team a little bit better. But um, what I'd love to do is talk to each of you two about this Fiesta Bowl. And, Cody, you mentioned – Formidable Ohio State defense, we're unlikely to see that level of you know, opposition in LSU. Um, the way I'd really like to look at this game is probably to break it down. Just There's obviously a lot of narratives coming out of the, out of the game itself uh, that I'd like us to at least touch on. But maybe we can go kind of throughout the phases of this game because I think that tells a really good story of, um, of, of Clemson, the team, and how that unfolded. Um, and I'd love to also make sure we touch on like, what are, what's like the big picture outcomes of this game implications for looking ahead to LSU or even the state of both Clemson's program now with this victory, um, and with Ohio state kind of where they are and where they're headed. Um, I mean, maybe at the highest of levels of this game, I think you saw Clemson for the first time this year be tested by an elite program on its schedule and stand up to that test and emerge victorious. I think even the most ardent Clemson fan couldn't say for certain that you knew what was going to happen when they went up against this level of competition. Um, I think we'd seen prior years and, you know, a lot of the same guys returning this year, but this specific team had not been put to this level of a test. And I think we've learned quite a bit. So where are you guys just at a macro level coming out for this year's team? Well, I mean, you're right. We hadn't gotten tested yet. And you heard a lot. I got a lot of the guys admit to that and, uh, but we passed the test, which was good to see. And, man, they came out ready to punch us in the mouth, and they did. They played physical. Um, and you can bet that Day you know, told his team that we have not been hit um, like they were capable of hitting us um, in this game. And they really wanted to come out and really punch us in the mouth, and they did. And, it's, and it set us back. And, Cody, you make a good point. You know, once we got down 16 to nothing um, – it didn't feel like West Virginia Orange Bowl, like, oh, crap, they're going to run away with it. You know, we had to remind ourselves, the 2016 National Championship game, we've seen this before, and we saw this team blow out Notre Dame and Alabama in the playoff last year. Very similar team, different on defense, different schematically. We, we lose the defensive line, but still, for the most part, you feel very confident that this is an elite team. Um, and so there was a little bit of growing pains uh, 
some struggles there early on. And for them to withstand that and be able to start to make the comeback, you know, once when they were just kicking field goals, you look up and you feel like you're down by four touchdowns and it's only 16 to nothing. You know, you think to yourself, we're still in this and they're, they're going to, that's going to come back to bite them in the butt, not, not punching into the end zone. Yeah. Well, Tully, you mentioned some narratives and I guess we don't have to go into officiating right away. Um, so I'll stay kind of in line with what you said, Ben. It felt like we were down uh, a lot early on. And I keep, I keep hearing the narrative about how uh, State dominated the first, what, 18 minutes. And, you know, the, I guess they extrapolate that over the whole game and they think that they should have dominated. You know, if we played 10 more times, they would win eight or nine. I, I just don't see that. When I rewatch the game, I, for one, when we get into the red zone as a defense, we're really good there. And it, it's no fluke. It's not a 50-50 thing and we won all the 50-50s. Going back to last year's national championship game, we got Tua in that offense in the red zone and we stopped them. It's just the strength of our team. So that that's one thing. The other thing is they had two explosive plays by J.K. Dobbins. And aside from that, it was it was really Fields making a lot of excellent pl- plays, some receivers making some freakish um, catches. And uh, there's one other thing, and, I'm, and I just blinked on it. So, totally. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean – you know, first phase of the game, I guess you could call it, I think what Ohio State was able to do to manufacture those drives, you mentioned the explosive plays, Cody. In addition to that, they played with a, a pace and a tempo that I don't think this defense has seen much this season, mostly because the talent level of opposing offenses and their lines, you know, we're not able to sustain that against Clemson. And we really did see that that bear out here. Um, you were right, Cody. I think if you if you subtract and remove the two J.K. Dobbins huge runs, then you're talking about a much more pedestrian day from him. And granted, a lot of that is going to include time after which he had that ankle injury and went to the locker room, came back out, had a retaped, all that good stuff. But, you know, anyway, that the Ryan Day game plan and sort of his punch him in the mouth mentality did play out in the first quarter, quarter plus um, regarding the tempo of their offense. And I mean, what a play by, if you want to talk about kind of like MVP of the phases of the game and possibly even the, you know, the, the play of the game from a Clemson standpoint was Tanner Muse chasing down Dobbins on that second run. Um, they go up 14 nothing there. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge, huge swing of momentum and just a huge, again, you know, then that 16 nothing looks like 20 to nothing, you know, and it, it's just a different ball game after that. Yeah, that was a huge turning point in the game, I think. It's very similar. Um, yeah, I think very similar for me when – Deion Kane had that catch and run against Alabama. Now this was on the defensive side of the ball. And yes, they went down to score a few more field goals after that, but that showed that, that, you know, this team was taking a punch, but they weren't giving up and they know how good they are in the red zone. Um, and yes, yeah, a hell of a play by, by Tanner Muse. You love to see a guy like that, not give up and it paid off, you know? And I think more than anything, we, we took a punch in the mouth on offense, I think from their defense, on the defensive side of the ball for us, I think the key there was is that it was a schematic thing. You mentioned the up-tempo. They were throwing the ball a lot more than we anticipated. You know, they they lean on Dobbins a lot and the legs of Fields. You can um, bring up the fact that that Fields has, uh, what, the knee injury, recovering from that knee, knee injury still, so we didn't really see him run that much in the game. But outside of those two big runs by Dobbins and a 21-yard run by Fields, you're right, they didn't get a lot going on the ground. So it was really just kind of those busts at first on defense. But when the defense settled in, they started imposing their will. They were bottling stuff up the middle, and the secondary played a, a pretty good game overall. Nolan Turner had some busts, but um, he came back in a bit weight there at the end. The big thing that I saw was uh, was I think what 
you hear about like them not having played a great Clemson, not having played a great team all year. I just think we haven't faced a running back quite like Dobbins, where I think it really, really fired up the defensive line and take to the coaching because like there were some missed gap assignments. I think the first one was on XT, not um, misreading the zone read. And then the second one being, I, I believe it was Justin Maskell, who was just a redshirt freshman. And, and then maybe Isaiah Simmons getting a little bit out of position. Shock it up to that. I think from that point on, we were very gap sound and bottle, like you said, been bottling up JK Dobbins. And that was when he was healthy. So yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it was just a, a matter of our defense settling in. And, and then like you said, totally, it was, it was pace. We were not ready for that pace. Yeah, well, it's a great adjustment by Brent Vittables to adjusting to that pace and defending it. I mean, after they go up 16 nothing, they only score once for the rest of the game. Well, and not to just regurgitate um, the post I'm about to plug here, um, Ian Boyd, longtime video analyst, college football writer at SB Nation, he does his own site now. Um, he has a great write-up about Brent Venables' defensive adjustment moving to the inverted Tampa 2 uh, defensive alignment for the better part of the second quarter on in this game. And what that enabled Clemson to do is show a three-man front, move Isaiah Simmons into the middle safety position, and really take away – it allowed Clemson's front to take away the run um, you know, between the tackles, basically, of J.K. Dobbins. And you saw Simmons flying around the field, making all kinds of plays. He had a pick. Um, there were a couple other near near picks or pick sixes um, going on in that game. But that adjustment really ground that Ohio State offensive momentum to a halt. Um, so, yeah, once again, you know, I think when I go back to you guys doing the preview, um, talking about Brent Venables' ability to make in-game adjustments, in my mind, that was one of the keys to victory here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, hey, you got to give it to Tony Elliott, too, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, the game plan to run Trevor Lawrence to, to free up ETN to use as an extra blocker was huge in this game, and we kept going to it time and time and again. And, you know, it paid off with that one uh, long run by Trevor that what got us to was that six was that the first score that was the second score to get us to the 16 14 right yeah so the way I, the way i kind of look at the offensive game breaking down is uh, once clemson got into that middle eight and we can maybe move over to the the referee uh kind of question here controversy if you want to call it that after that targeting play that was right around the four minute mark of the second quarter getting into that kind of middle eight minutes the four minutes before halftime four minutes after half and in that time frame, Clemson came roaring back, scored 14 points before half, um, didn't score right after the half, but um, also did not allow Ohio State to do much right after halftime or right before halftime. So um, that middle period was definitely where we saw some adjustment from the coaching staff, particularly on offense. Um, but by that point, I think what you also had going on in, in on Clemson's offense was T. Higgins was out of the game. I think he started to see Justin Ross moving into the boundary receiver position and starting to get beat up out there as well. Um, I really want to make sure we call out the performance of Ohio State's secondary. They, they really dominated in this game. We did not get a lot going in the passing game. There were a few key moments. Um, Justin Ross had that first down on the, the final touchdown drive from Clemson. Um, but other than that, I mean, kind of a pedestrian day from Clemson's receiving core. And I chalked that up very much to Ohio State's secondary. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, we got some flack for mispronouncing names on the preview show from Ohio State Twitter. Uh, I think everyone's getting flack from them right now, though, right? So, I, you know, whatever. I think um, it's just what they do. Right. They're, they're a very angry fan base. But, uh, 
but yeah, we pronounced, I mispronounced Jeff Utica's name. He's a great cover corner. Uh, he, he, he played really well against Justin Ross. And by the way, a couple things, T Higgins, like you said, totally going out. That, that was a huge, that, 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 he's a huge part of our offense. I don't even think we realized the magnitude of his uh, importance until he leaves and we, and we uh, have a really tough time extending drives. And then the second thing, the field, like what was going on with the field? I feel like it was really tough for our receivers getting separation because of that. And you know, it, it, Ohio State was playing with it too. I think J.K. Dobbins fell down a couple times. So, can we please get some good turf for Which, a playoff? Well, and you know, listening to the announcers, that's not the first time it's uh, apparently a thing with the field there in Glendale. Um, Notre Dame had a had a stud like was it Jalen Smith, their stud linebacker, tore his ACL in the Fiesta Bowl two two three years ago um, on that very same field. It's weird because when that stadium came out. They were talking about you roll the grass out into the open air and you roll it back in. I don't, I don't think that's working out in the winter time in Arizona. Well, they just, I mean, I think Kirk Herbstreit mentioned just how it always seems to be kind of slick and wet. So I don't know. I mean, maybe out there in the desert, just go ahead and bite the bullet and get some, uh, get some artificial turf, um, especially you know in these high-profile games. You want to see guys slipping. I don't know if that had anything to do with Dobbins' injury. Did Dobbins have an ankle injury coming into the game, or was that something no. that? There's a specific play. Um, Tyler Davis kind of had him, his ankle pinned when they were taking him down, and he just felt weird on it. Pretty sure that that's what caused the injury. Tyler Davis is a strong dude. Yeah, well, he's a big guy. Um, um, but yeah, but- plenty of slips throughout this game. I mean, I think you could probably chalk up the pick six from Kayvon Wallace to slipping on the turf. So again, I'll go back to it real quick. I think schematically uh, on defense, that was the issue there. You saw the good adjustments, but what is your take on the offense coming out? Is it really, they were just, they were just beating us up. You mentioned how good the secondary was playing and um, it wasn't so much that the Ohio state offense or defense was making plays. They certainly were. Um, It was hard for our receivers to get separation, but the the offense just really didn't execute well there to start the game. And they seemed a little bit shell-shocked. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and actually pay attention to like the script from the start for the offensive play calling. Um, I feel like it was a matter of physicality. And then um, I would also say, I don't know necessarily that, like I, I just recall there being a good good amount of trying to get, get the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hands to the outside. Um, DeAndre Overton was involved pretty much, like pretty heavily early on. Um, and all night, really, tra- um, Travis Etienne could not get it going you know, through, through the middle, middle part of the line. So um, just a tough start, you know, credit to Ohio State there, but I don't necessarily know that the coaches made the right type of reads and adjustments early on um, until they figured out, let's get ETN moving more in the passing game and let's use the numbers advantage to get Trevor Lawrence's legs moving. Well, and we mentioned that in the preview episode, um, how it might be difficult for ETN to get anything going up the middle, and that proved to be the case, but it was about what the team was able to do and the coaches were able to do in the other aspects of the game, getting him the ball in the passing game. That obviously turned out um, to be a, a huge success for the Tigers. He led the team in receiving yards and had those two touchdowns, um, and they were trying that early on. You know, Early on, Ohio State was up to nothing. ETN had a drop pass on second down. We ended up punting, and we'll get to Will Spires, man. What hell of a game for him. But uh, <laughs> it just seemed like we were, we were moving the ball go, uh, early on, but we just kept getting stalled. Like, so things just weren't clicking. Teams weren't, uh, the team wasn't in rhythm um, until Trevor took that big hit, and then it completely changed. Well, all year we've been in like an explosive offense, and we haven't been as efficient as I think everyone thought we would be to exp- 
as we expected coming into the season. But I think the big thing was their defensive line, like you guys said, bottling up everything inside run. Like when you can't, when you cut off that whole part of the the uh, the field, and then you have to go to the outside. Meanwhile, even though Chase Young didn't get home very often, he was still something we had to contend with. I mean, I think it just had like the right the the right recipe for to make Trevor get the ball out quick, and then you got cover corners that won't let our, our wide receivers do much. And then, like you said, the only way to combat that was to get Etienne into the open field. I think I think it did take a little while for our OCs to to adjust and to make those calls, but luckily they did, and it paid off. Yeah, something else that I noticed in this game offensively, tremendous blocking downfield from our receivers as the game started to open up and as you got ETN loose, Trevor Lawrence loose. Um, and Braden Galloway was certainly not a receiving impact on this game, uh, but I think the the fact that they stuck with him and, and used him there, he did draw defenders throughout the game, and I think maybe Ohio State was trying to scheme or you know keep an eye on him against a potential wrinkle in the offense. And... Um, I also know he was involved in the blocking game downfield too. Well, on Tre- Trevor Lawrence's big run, he had a good block downfield. Um, and then John Simpson right there at the line. So, yeah, he was in there early and often. I think he led all tight ends in snaps, which was interesting to see considering he wasn't even on the depth chart coming into the game. I was surprised seeing him out there as much and not being involved in the passing game. But I think that just credits, you know, all the credit to him for how much the coaches trust him blocking. And he, helped yeah, out on Chase, State, and he helped out on Chase Young there a lot, too. I think Ohio State's linebackers were the weakness of their defense, and um, you might have seen some of that play out in some of the downfield blocking success our guys had. It'll be really interesting to uh, start to scout what LSU's got going on to see if we can expect that type of repeat production. Um, you, ben, you mentioned a point I want to kind of go back to. we got to pay some lip service on this podcast to the targeting call. Uh, clear, pretty clearly targeting there, particularly of uh, a quarterback, high-profile quarterback. They got the call right, don't we think? Oh, abs- yeah, I think they absolutely got the call. And it, if you go back and listen to the the commentators in the game, uh, or Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler, they, um, on occasions like that, they would kind of, they seem to err on the side of uh, Ohio State, but the rules official that they would bring in every time he agreed with the officials and the calls that they made on the field. And I put a lot more stock in uh, the rules officials that they have um, commentating with them. This is what these guys do as uh, former officials and whatnot. Um, and on that play in particular, you hear the argument that Trevor lowered his head, but that, that doesn't matter when you lead and go in with your head. That's what they're calling now. Yeah. You per- could hit him in the elbow. Right. And you're leading with the crown, right? Personally, I think the just in general that the rule needs to be amended to have like a, a like a flagrant one and a flagrant two like in basketball, right? Because it seemed very punitive to kick a guy out of the game for a hit like that because it wasn't like egregious. Like it wasn't um, he didn't spear him. It wasn't a clean like direct hit to the head. Um, so I mean, I just don't I don't like the rule in general. I mean, it wasn't even our team. Um, I, I think in a situation like that, you should get a warning. It's a fifteen yard penalty. Unless it's something where it's obvious, where the guy was clearly intending to do that, then I don't think they should be thrown out of the game. But here's the, the thing with targeting. It's so hard to judge intent. And then there's, like, there's going to be levels of, of intent, I suppose, that we, we would expect these, these superhuman referees to be able to, to judge properly. I, I just don't think that's possible. So I think they, did, they made the call correctly. I don't give uh, Sean Wade all that much benefit of the doubt. I don't think it was a dirty hit. 
but they, they teach you in modern football how to how to um, remove your your head and not lead with your crown. So, and he had plenty of lead time um, in in the run up. So, I, it's, yeah, Trevor it's, Lawrence I, was not getting out of that tackle, right? Like, you know, you want to lay the wood when there's any chance the guy might squeak out. Like, that was not happening there. Exactly. And and one thing I caught in the replay was was Fuller actually targeted. If they would have gone back and and replayed that down, it was like three downs before he actually targeted Trevor Lawrence as well, and he would have been out of the game. So, I mean, the Ohio State fans aren't going to mention that, but it was it was the right call. I agree agree with you guys, though. It's too punitive. I wish maybe they could change the rule so it's less punitive, but call was made right. No, it was a correct call by the book. And, uh, I mean, listen, let me ask you guys. When that happened and you saw Trevor Lawrence go down, obviously the first thing you think about is a concussion, but you see him grab his shoulder there, which makes you feel a little bit better. But um, was your first thought, oh, we'll be fine. We have Chase Price. You know, we've mentioned that this year. Was that your first thought, or was your first thought, oh, crap, we're screwed? Well, down 16 nothing. Like you got to yeah. talk about the context of the game. Uh, I don't know that the thought dawned on me that he wouldn't you know, pop up and be able to walk it off or what have you, but if it was going to be Chase Bryce, it would have been a really tough hill to climb, particularly 16-0 and ETN not necessarily uh, getting it going just yet. Well, not to mention, as hard as they were hitting in this game, if they take Chase Bryce out, what do we have left? Pumachan, baby. <laughs> Tyson Pumachan. Yes. So thankfully, uh, Trevor not only got up, but that that hit, um, you know, he believed that, I don't know if he believed there was malicious intent to the hit, but he thought that Ohio State was like, all right, we knocked him out. You know, let's go. We're winning this game. And um, he told reporters afterwards he got mad, and you don't want to see Trevor mad, apparently. Yeah, the the toughness of that kid, man. And it really came out in this game. But we've we've seen it before from him. Um, but you know, he's just unshakable and to watch him take a hit like that and then come back, um, immediately turn around and go and, and complete the drive down the field and score a touchdown. Um, we were yeah. feeling really good at that point being down 16 to seven. Well, and everyone talks about like, Oh, you see your quarterback take a lick like that and get up. It really rejuvenates your team. I think that happened. And you saw ETN score the touchdown on that drive. He, all of his skills were on display there, you know, breaking through tackles. I think there were like four guys at the end zone trying to stop him from going in. I believe some of the, the later Ohio State secondary guys had already kind of given up on the play, assuming the safety was going to take him down. So, um, you know, again, amazing, amazing series. Clemson got up off the mat, and um, that was our moment to punch them in the mouth a bit. And it actually, I think, doubt started to creep into Ohio State's mind. And that started with the, um, I think, going down and, you know, not, not really cashing in on touchdowns only coming away with field goals. Then looking up the scoreboard at 16 to seven and 16, 14 going to the locker room. That stuff definitely has an effect. And I actually feel like that's where you had some of the experience level of Clemson relative to Ohio state start to play out in this game. Um, I'm not saying their team, you know, gave up at any point. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying like, you know, Clemson's belief in, they're never out of this game. They can come back and do it and win the will to win. I believe is how Dabo put it. You know, that was, that was really on display from the Clemson side. Yeah. And it was really interesting. Um, we, we talked about it. We speculated about it coming into the game, but whether or not Clemson's experience having been to the college football playoff now for the fifth year in a row, how much that was going to play in um, to being an advantage in this game. And we tended to think that once the game got rolling, that it wouldn't, uh, be that big of a deal and maybe more to their advantage if Clemson got out to a big lead and Ohio State was down early. Um, I do wonder if Ohio State had gotten down 16 to nothing 
um, would they have been able to mount a comeback like that? But I think that you're right. You're totally right. I think that's where the experience factor played in. Uh, this team did not feel like they were out of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think a little bit of doubt crept in. Maybe you saw some of that play out in the third quarter. There's some adjustments that were made there. Um, Clemson went on a 29-7 run to end the game, but Ohio State was not out of it. And by putting up 16 early, you know, first of all, they were close scoreboard-wise, but um, they they definitely mounted, you know, a bit of a fight in the second half, made some of their own adjustments. Um, what was really interesting, I think, though, you know, ever, the biggest play, and unfortunately, I think this is going to be how this game is remembered nationally and definitely by Ohio State fans, if not Clemson fans as well, um, is in the third quarter. You know, Clemson is well well in its own territory. T. Higgins had come back in the game, but he was pretty ineffective. Um, Clemson had an out route to T, and that was where Okuda um, basically tackled him, stripped the ball, or so it seemed. Uh, to Justin um, Ross. Yeah, it's Sorry, I might have said T to Justin Ross. And, um, you know, controversial play. We all know what happened. So I guess the biggest question here is, was that a catch or not? And if it's not a catch or if it was a catch, you know, is it actually a fumble or was there? Um, I know it's, it hasn't been mentioned too much, but, you know, was his forward progress stopped and therefore he wasn't trying to advance the ball. Um, they should have blown it dead if it was a rule to catch. Um, again, I think the official on the air kind of talked through the, the reasoning why that was not deemed a catch. I think if you slow that thing down as people did in the, the basketball championship game last year, yeah, just, you know, the, the super slow-mo happening, um, you know, maybe it was still deemed a catch. I don't know, but I, where, are you, where are you guys landing on this thing? I mean, I didn't think it was a catch. You have to look at it in real speed. I don't know, Cody, what do you think? Well, you have to make a, a, a play familiar to the game, or as we, or, or it's, it's commonly called a football move. And the way that I've seen that rule interpreted, which is, it seems just inherently very subjective, but the way I've seen it interpreted is I need to see a football move, and it didn't look like anything Justin Ross did was a football move. You, you can quibble about the steps that he was able to take and him controlling the, the ball. I, I completely understand uh, like Ohio State fans' anger, but at the same time, I mean, I, I didn't see the football move. Well, yeah, if it goes the other way, would you guys, would you think we'd be sitting here outraged at that was not a catch? Like, I just don't think that we would have, we would have no. gone back to that play. We would not be as outraged that that wasn't deemed an incompletion. Um, but what I will say, I mean, there's a couple other kind of comments I want to make here. Um, the game, like that, that play did not decide the entire game. Now, granted it, you know, the Trevor Lawrence, Targeting situation swung momentum, you could say. Could that have swung momentum the other favor? Very much could have. Um, the other thing about these plays, though, I, I believe officials are instructed, instead of blowing it dead at that moment, let it play out because we can always go back and review it. Right. That's that's what they, they, throw, they throw the beanbag. Throw the beanbag, see how it plays out. Then we can come back and look at it. And in my mind, if you're having to do that, then this whole indisputable video evidence thing you kind of have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt too. If they're always assuming that whatever like impact play, call it a turnover happened, you know, if that's like the default call on the field, um, I just, I think that's also a factor here that maybe there was, was not indisputed evidence to turn it to an incompletion, but the fact that they, you know, did let it play out. Maybe they're like, you know what, there's a shred of a doubt here. Let's go ahead and roll it incomplete. 
Well, and the rules official, again, I go back to him, the guy in the booth, he explained it the best. We kept watching that play over and over again, slow-mo, but every time you, you watch it in real time, like it was a split second. Like You have to watch those things in real time. He, he made the, the argument that he only wants to see slow-mo when, uh, when it's like an out-of-bounds play. Does somebody step out of bounds or something like that? But on a catch like that, he wants to see it in real time. Um, because you can, you can make anything look like a catch. And I think he, that those were his words. You can make anything look like a catch if you slow it down. Um, right. But so there was that also. But, I mean, my thought is as well, if that's technically ruled a catch, then wouldn't you also have to call forward progress? Right. And that's, that was my thought exactly. To the extent that you're going to look at something in, in slow-mo, well, you got to factor in everything in slow-mo at that point, and forward progress would be included. But... I'm with you. I, I just I don't think I don't think you can look at that sort of thing in slow mo because you're looking at a, a football play, a football move, and yeah, I think Bill Lamagne came in. And he was. I mean, you would think like he would kind of soothe soothe over you know a little bit of the the Ohio State fan base a little bit hearing the, hearing the rules judge say that. Uh, I and, and and totally to to your point, um, them letting it play out on the field, and then. Coming back to review. Yeah, did you, did you guys read the, the subreddit? There was a subreddit by a referee, and he yeah. mentioned it, it was actually a really good analysis and breakdown. And he said, I did not see it. No. Okay, well, I thought that might yeah. have been what you were alluding to. Well, he said essentially, if, if that guy would have called it dead on the field and they didn't have a chance to review it or reverse the, the touchdown, that guy's never going to get called the, the, the referee again in a, in a playoff because that, they would be very, uh, it'd be very punish or punitive to him if he were to make that call. So. It was the right thing to do to let it play out. Well, and this, then, yeah, it's not like we went down and scored a touchdown. We immediately punted the ball to them. Well, and it, now they didn't get their the touchdown. Nor was that the series of the game, last series of the game. I mean, let's put it this way: like there were there were plenty of plays and breaks that did not quite go Clemson's way in this game. And call that one for Ohio State. That's fine. But they had both the lead with three minutes left and coughed that up, and then they had the chance to go down and take the lead as well. So. What lost this game, there's several other, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that cost the game for Ohio State. This might be one of several. Yeah, and so when Ryan Day is out there crying about all these calls, especially for something that happened in the third quarter when you had the rest of the game to play still, this isn't like the blown pass interference call against the Saints uh, in the NFC Championship game last year, right? Now, that clearly decided the game, but this didn't. Uh, um, it actually didn't, Ben. They had a chance to... I mean, that game went into overtime. They had a chance to... Well, but they would have won it. They probably would have won it had they called pass interference there. That's, that's fair. Anyway. I'm, I'm just saying, this is a, it's a completely different situation. Now, I can't honestly say that if the, if the fields were... If the, the coin was flipped on the other side and uh, they had called that a fumble, that as a Clemson fan, I wouldn't be pissed off and think they got the call wrong. Um, likewise, if I'm on Ohio State side, like I probably would have felt the same way that they were. But uh, you know, when the coach comes out and is whining about, it, and the, the athletic director had some comments, like, "Come on, guys! Like, it, it's the game was more than that. You had a, you had plenty of opportunities in the first and second quarters to put Clemson away, and you kept being held to field goals, and then you only scored once for the rest of the game. Like, that's on you. It's not on the officials." Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I I think you'd you'd expect a bit. You can express frustration, but you'd also expect a bit of kind of reverence for your opponent. What they what they just completed, and um, also own the loss a bit. You know, kind of own some of the decision making or the lack of execution that happened. And um, 
you know, didn't necessarily see that right out of the gate. I know Ryan Day is an emotional guy. Um, you know, he, he was kind of expressing that in the moment and chalk that out to experience too. This dude's a first year coach. Um, you know, he hasn't necessarily, he hasn't lost a game yet. This was his first loss and um, certainly on the biggest of stages, but or next to biggest of stages. But um, anyway, that one, we probably put too long of a tail on that kite, but moving along from that, I think it was just a great, um, a great fourth quarter to end this game. And really there were a lot of moments and opportunities for Ohio state to cash in and to put this game away. Um, even though Clemson had kind of swung the, swung the momentum in their favor. Um, at one point, Ohio State had forced several Clemson three-and-outs and punts to end the third quarter. Um, they mounted a nearly seven-minute drive, went into Clemson-plus territory, and opted to punt instead of going for it on fourth and three uh, when I thought they were moving the ball pretty well on the ground. Um, and then secondly, I feel like when they did break through and score a touchdown um, on that fourth down play, so I credit their aggressiveness, um, they immediately went for the PAT to only go up two. Right. Um, so the, you know, going for two, try to extend that lead, try to make life a little harder on Clemson or put themselves in a better position later, which ultimately came down. You know, they didn't lose by, you know, three points or four points ultimately, but it, it could have, could have changed Clemson's decision-making. Yeah. Um, but I think the decision to never kick a field goal again happened after BT Potter missed that 49 yarder in the first half. Uh, was right. that, that was a, our first drive of the game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they should have gone, like, by the book. You, you go for two right there um, because a two-point lead doesn't really do you much. But at the same time, I don't think Clemson was going to kick a field goal, um, even <laughs> if it's a chip shot. You know, Potter struggled more than anything um, under 40 yards. So, yeah. um, you know, the opportunities were out there. And, you know, credit to both teams. They played amazingly. Yeah. Um, the, the, the toughness for both, uh, the talent – I was really impressed by Ohio State uh, across the ball. I thought they outcoached us in the first half um, for the most part. And so really just a ton of credit for the, to them for making the game what it was. Um, and really going to the fourth quarter now, you know, Ohio State is, is up 23 to 21. And like you mentioned, man, they had, a, they had an opportunity there to, to, to put it away. Um, they take six and a half minutes off the clock. They really slowed, uh, slowed it down, uh, putting together that last, uh, second to last drive of theirs. Um, but you know, it, yeah. Clemson played really disciplined, uh, on that, the punt where the punter ran up and tried to draw Clemson offside. They ended up with a delay of game. And, uh, and then one thing that I just completely forgot about until I went back and rewatched it is that last punt where we got the ball. Um, for that game-winning drive, I think we started at the six. That punt hit Kendrick, and he got oh, lucky yeah. to jump on it. I mean, first of all, it shouldn't have been there. Second of all, incredible awareness and just you know fast twitch muscle ref- reflexes to spot the ball, feel the fact that it hit him, spot the ball, fall on it instead of you know bobbling it around. And I remember Darian Kendrick talk about what a difference a year makes. Last year against Notre Dame, he fielded the first punt of the game and basically muff the catch and it was scrambling around and basically it was like in you know a blade of grass out of bounds the ball managed to be out of bounds and otherwise Notre Dame set up in plus territory so Darian Kendrick near death special teams player thank goodness for that that awareness to fall on that ball because they get that ball there that's game over yeah and I think a part of it may be on Amari Rogers too to to 
be a little bit more vocal yeah to to direct him out of the way of that one because Kendrick didn't seem like he had any idea that the ball was going to come over close to him and yeah just rewatching that I totally uh, forgot about that because right after that Clemson takes the ball over to six and goes on that four play drive 94 yards um for a team for a touchdown the game-winning touchdown so yeah let's let's talk about that I mean you hear um how Lawrence commanded the huddle heading out there for a drive and it was very reminiscent of Deshaun Watson in the 2016 game and I mean we know what we have in Lawrence at, at this point we've you know, second year with him we know he has all the talent in the world and the physical ability but he has now put it all together with with the complete toughness and the command of the team and the leadership and that is all building right before our eyes and it all played out here on that um on this last drive it started off with a tough first down run by Lawrence. Yeah, I think was it the first down run from him, and then I think there was a Justin Ross first down completion. Um, Justin Ross basically had one arm dangling by a thread at that point too. So, yeah, um, amazing toughness displayed by several guys on this team, particularly Jay Ross. Um, and then that last drive, it was reminiscent of the national championship in that you kind of had every impact player on the offense making a contribution on that drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tri- Amore Rogers, who hadn't yeah. uh, caught a ball the entire game up to that point, ends up with that thirty-yard, thirty-eight-yard catch and run, getting us down to the Ohio State thirty-five. Uh, Trevor worked through his progressions beautifully on that play. Um, mm-hmm. I think Amore was like the third option, um, and then like the incredible talk about a, good, a hell of a coaching job. That last play that Travis Etienne didn't even want to be called because he didn't think it'd be successful, but they've been setting it up the entire game. Trevor fakes that run and throws over the middle to ETN. And, man, we were going crazy at that point. But you looked up. You saw a lot of time left on the clock. They had to worry you. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, there were several things that could have gone wrong on that pass play. Um, tip ball at the line. You know, uh, um, ETN definitely had defenders right around him as he ca- caught that ball, turned to run. I almost thought he turned around too quickly um, to get – but he, he just hit the gas right away. And – um, I don't think the defenders downfield were ready for his speed. And if you're not ready to square up right with ETN, he's, he's blazing through you. And he did. Well, once he gets you out in the open field, you're, you're toast. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of it. They were able to stuff the run game up the middle, but what he was able to do out in space, he had some good runs along uh, around the end. Um, but again, in the passing game, 98 yards, that has to be, uh, I would take a career hit, hit, mark for him, right? Yeah, his his greatest game pass catching for sure, albeit only three receptions, but two two are huge TDs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know the explosive play was definitely something you guys referenced in the preview. I think we saw that last year come back to bite Ohio State. They played a bit more disciplined this year overall, uh, but it was something that ultimately cost them this game as much as any other factor um, on both sides of the football was allowing explosive plays really all of Clemson scores coming from um, coming from outside the 30 yard line. Right. So uh, actually I'm not sure that first ETN touchdown that might've been closer in, but in no, any that, event, was a, that was a 20 something. No, I thought it was a 50 something yard. He had a 50 something yard catch and run, I think for that one. That was in the third quarter. Um, his first touchdown was where he locked hands with the safety and kind of busted through near the line. Anyway, uh, explosive plays definitely came back to bite the Buckeyes. And uh, credit to the coaching staff of Clemson, you know, kind of going for the juggler with those. Yeah, absolutely. But again, you know, we're only up 29 to 23 at that point. 
you got what a minute 49 left on the clock. How did you feel in that moment? I mean, it was very similar to 2016 when Alabama gave us the ball back, gave it back to Deshaun on that offense. And we were like, they scored too quickly, man. They left too okay. much time on the clock. You're kind of feeling that in this one. Yeah, I, I definitely was. I'm not going to lie. And I mean, the good point is hope, let's, let's, yeah. let's real quick, that two point conversion uh, was big in that they have to score a touchdown um, and convert the PAT. Um, minor it's not like that put them it's not like that was the difference between them having to kick a field goal and score a touchdown but it puts a little bit more pressure on them right Um, but yeah that's that's where t higgins got got his contribution on the drive and it was it was awesome so um and great to i mean that trevor lawrence pass you talk about the pass to t higgins in the end zone against alabama last year in the national championship game this one was on that level that that two-point conversion i encourage people to go back and look at that from multiple angles um, yeah. definitely under, under discussed. Good to see T go back and get that because even when he came back in the game in the second half, he had a couple drops and he just, he just didn't seem like himself. Right. Um, but good to see him snag that one. And we're going to need to, to have him and Justin Ross at full strength and honestly play better than they played in this game against LSU. Yeah. I mean, everyone talks about LSU being DBU when they played Florida. It was like, which of these teams has better defensive backs? Um, I got a tough time seeing them play our receivers any better than Ohio State just did. Yeah, that's probably the best second. I mean, that's the best secondary we've seen in in quite some time. Yeah, I'd even have to probably go back to Alabama 2015 to uh, to compare this. So, yeah, you're right, Ben. You know, going into that last drive, I mean, did I think the defense had enough in the gas, enough gas in the tank? I did. What I was kind of hoping for, though, was that if they were going to score, they're going to do it quickly because would have liked to see yet another Trevor Lawrence uh, you know, heroic drive at the very end. But um, what really was disappointing in that last drive was they kept going to the same play. Yeah. You know, top of the field, um, generally it was to J.K. Dobbins. Um, Ohio State, I mean, their receiving core, I also want to – I mean, they, they didn't gash Clemson. Uh, Olave did have that that play where he uh, he burned Nolan Turner. Nolan Turner got burned on a, a third and long conversion earlier. Um, you know our secondary Justin Fields also had a, a long third down conversion run. Um, so credit Ohio State. I mean they stuck in there. It was not just all. I know we've been talking about what Clemson did, but. Um, really yeah. on that last drive they were moving it. Yeah, Hill Hill and Mac played really well too. Um, and again, Cody mentioned this earlier. Oh, by the way, we lost Cody a while ago. He's having technical difficulties. Um, um, they made some great plays in this game. I was I came out more impressed with their wide receiving core than um, than I thought I was going to be. Um, but hey, man, we mentioned all those busts by Nolan Turner, and right after he bust on their their Ohio State's last score, I know Cody was kind of giving him some crap, and you turned around and mentioned to me, you're like. I hope Nolan Turner makes a huge play. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, he did, man. I mean, it took yeah. a little bit of luck with Alave uh, breaking off his route because he thought Fields was scrambling there. But if – I don't know. I watched that play over, over and over again, and I still think Nolan Turner was going to be in great position to make a play on the ball. Either on the ball or break it up. Yeah. Like a, that's not a touchdown second time through. So uh, incredible. I remember yelling at Cody – for about three minutes straight after he picked that off. Um, said some choice words. He deserved it. It was great. 
Uh, but yeah, what a story for Nolan Turner. Um, Chad Smith, I think, earned the game, the defensive. He was uh, game MVP. Game MVP, defensive MVP with 10 and a half tackles. What a stud. He, he, both he and Skalski went out on a play earlier in the game, uh, which was so scary. I mean, my goodness, to lose not one but two of those guys. Um, very glad they were able to come back in, but uh, very deserving. I thought um, a player that really was an unsung hero in this game was Darian Kendrick. Um, he, in my opinion, this, the stats, you know, he kind of, I, I, I feel like, you know, deserved as much credit as anybody for on the defensive side of the ball for this game. Um, I think he was involved in like six havoc plays, like tackles for loss or sacks in this game. Um, Clemson's D line and just Clemson's kind of blitz as well. Also made life difficult on Justin Fields. He was not at full mobility, full capacity, but um, I think the the team executed against a pretty stout Ohio State front. So a lot of kind of plaudits to go around this defense, but probably ultimately it's the Isaiah Simmons, you know, show that that really helped this defense make that adjustment in the, the inverted Tampa two uh, that made all the difference in slowing down Ohio State. Well, you know, another guy that played well, Balen Spector was in there. It looked like to spy Fields a bit. Uh, we didn't get a lot of pressure on Fields, which was disappointing. I think at this point we're not expecting to get a lot of pressure with our three-man front. Um, but, you know, there was, some, uh, there was a sack or two left out there. Uh, Nolan Turner missed one. Um, so I think against Joe Burrow, we're going to have to do a lot better job of getting, getting pressure. We can't leave him back there with seven to nine seconds in the pocket. We're going to have to get pressure on him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Brent Venables is going to be able to dial up. That being One said, thing, I do think they did. They ended up doing really well bottling up the run up the middle. Yeah. One thing about Spectre, I mean, I, I think that Skalski and Chad Smith are really strong linebackers, though they're not the strongest in pass coverage. I, my hope is that's something that Spectre can give this defense. And he he's in there in the most critical game of the year, getting, you know, dozens of snaps. And, you know, if he can, if he can prove his medal there, that's going to be, very crucial against LSU. Yeah, and I will say this. I, I am more and more impressed as I watch this team with the overall speed of the linebackers. It is better than it has been in years past, and it shows um, as they are getting after the quarterback in and defending the run. Um, and that's that's part of this this Tampa 2, the three-man front, man. It's it's put your uh, your three linemen out there hoping they can wreak some havoc, but open it up for, you know, play to your strengths, play to your playmakers. You know, you see all those linebackers out there. As Isaiah Simmons were playing um, with three safeties there at times and Nolan Turner, Wallace, and Muse on the field. Um, but overall, I, we, we thought coming into this game that the secondary was going to have to play well, and I, I thought for the most part they did. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I think you guys talked about if we were going to hold Ohio State in the 20s as this team did. Uh, by the way, no opponent scoring over 23 points this year. What an incredible job by the defense on the year. Um, I think you guys assumed if that's the case, it means somebody like Xavier Thomas um, or maybe you know KJ Henry or um, Justin Foster had a monster game up front. And those guys were solid, but I don't think we necessarily saw like a breakout performance from any of any of them in pass rush. But um, just it was just a, a full defensive effort. That won the day. Yeah, you know Xavier Thomas has been a guy. It's been a little bit of a disappointment this year. I think we all thought he was poised for a breakout season, um, and you really haven't seen that. We mentioned the bust there on the the Dobbins, his first touchdown run. Um, 
just really leaves a lot more to be desired. You see KJ Henry out there, and I don't think he's still yet quite developed to make a, a huge impact against elite tackles. Um, so definitely, I mean, again, and this is just goes to show what a phenomenal job Brent Vittables has done scheming for this defense is he plays to their strengths and is able to mask those weaknesses. Whereas last year, the defensive line was able to mask the weaknesses and, uh, and with some slow linebackers and coverage. And then the secondary, it's been the opposite this year. He's using those linebackers in the secondary to make up for what we're lacking on the defensive line. And you mentioned nobody over 23 points this year. It's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, somehow I feel that's going to get tested and altered this coming <laughs> this coming game. You think um, you, you don't you don't think LSU <laughs> scores a uh, twenty three less? <laughs> well, that would be yeah, that'd be incredible if we could. But uh, what's nice is we can trust this offense to to hold pace with them. So um, before we kind of put a bow on the game itself, I mean, you already mentioned the impact of Will Spires. Uh, so many different ways he 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 played a role in this game. Um, field position was always at a premium, you know, in this one. So great to see him start to peak at the right time uh, in multiple ways, you know, with the rugby style punt and more of a traditional approach. But there's definitely one play where I thought he could, you know, Ohio State just completely bailed on their punt coverage and was not trying to pressure him at all. He could have just walked the ball to a, to a first down there. Yeah. Um, we, we all know the history of Dabo's punters and going rogue. On, uh, calling their own fakes, but you know, every, well, every play like that counts. He had a phenomenal game. It's certainly the best game of his career. We also he also had that roughing the pick, uh, the kicker that um, played well into our hands. Uh, yeah, he had that one long fifty three yard punt. He had several down inside the twenty. Didn't shank any, and just the mix of the rugby punts and and um, and everything else. I mean, yeah, he just he had an incredible game in a game where we needed him um, more than I ever really call really needing him having to punt. So, I mean, punt seven times in this game, you just don't see that right from a Clemson offense. We just, we just don't, we're not used to punting that much. So to be able to control the field position and flip the field, like we were able to do, he pinned them deep several times and man, kudos to him. He's like you said, peaking at the right time. And uh, we're probably going to need him against LSU to, to play that well um, too. Yeah. I mean, the hope being we're not punting all that much if they're not. So uh, we will see. And, you know, unfortunately uh, we did have the missed field goal pretty early on uh, for BT Potter. Ben, do you remember offhand what the distance was on that one? It was 49, I think. Okay. Yeah. So not, you know, not a, not, not a chip shot by any means, but. When he hit um, it well, he had the distance. He just pushed it a little bit but it's right. just at this point we can't you can't trust him there's nothing he has not instilled um confidence in in, in the coaches i'm sure and, and not us i mean we, we talked about it if it comes down to a field goal I, i'd rather go for it <laughs> to be honest yeah i mean do you think maybe the dome can help help him you know it's a more controlled environment um well we were in a dome in, Pat, in, in glendale yeah it's a little different I mean, it's different turf, right? You talked about the slipperiness of, the, of that turf. I don't know. I, I think he just needs another year of uh, maturation there. He certainly has the leg. And, I mean, credit to him for putting all those balls out the back of the end zone on kickoffs. You know, that makes right. a big difference too. So he's certainly valuable in that respect. But, yeah, i just not feeling great about our place kicking game. Yeah, what I would also say is unlikely to have this game against LSU come down to a field goal here or there. 
Yeah, I, I don't imagine either teams would be kicking a lot of field goals in that game. Right. Uh, well, in any event, incredible victory for Clemson. I mean, we were talking about this right after the game. Is that the greatest victory outside of a championship that we've seen? And I, I believe so. I mean, definitely on the rise, you know, coming, coming up from the 14 to 15 to 16 teams. Um, there were some formidable opponents, highly ranked, that Clemson took down. I don't think any of those teams, you know, you want to talk about Notre Dame or Florida State. Um, I don't think any of those teams were a championship caliber team playing at the level that Ohio State was. And they may, they may have been the best team in the country this year, for all we know. But um, Clemson was a better team on Saturday. And I think you play that game, you know, you play a couple more quarters. I think Clemson emerges with, you know, a couple more scores, you know, with a comfortable lead. I think you play that game a few more times. You know, Clemson doesn't start 0-16 in that game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, again, we'll, we'll say it. We'll admit it. It was a horrible ACC schedule. We were not tested all year long. And it showed right out there coming out the, uh, at the beginning of the game. They were through one and a half quarters. But, um, ultimately, this team showed us what they were made of. And it's every, you know, bit as phenomenal as we, we thought. I don't, it wasn't a clean game by any stretch of the imagination. I think we're going to have to play a lot better on both sides of the ball. To pull off a win against LSU, but it's certainly good to have this game under our belt head, heading into that one. Um, and you mentioned, um, you know, championship games aside, like what other type of game that compares to? I would say the fourth and sixteen LSU Peach Bowl game comes to mind. That was one where um, LSU came out and just, you know, pounded us early on in that game. We were taking hits. Uh, Sammy Watkins went out early in that game, and. You know, those guys stuck with it, and they sh- showed their true colors and came back and won the football game. So that's, I think, pretty comparable in, in my estimation. Yeah. And honestly, much, much, much better game to watch for spectators than even that Alabama game last year. So, yeah. Um, you know. Now, and that was the beauty of it. I think that was one of the most fun things for me is, I mean, obviously – when it comes to the to the to the natty, I don't care if we blow somebody else. It's going to be just as entertaining for me. But just the the emotions of going through that game, the ups and the downs, getting down early and then coming back and fighting back, and just the different emotions of how you feel. Because at first you're like, oh man, are they just going to blow us out? And then you start seeing this make some plays, and you're like, okay, this team can compete. And then you start to feel, you know, once we go in down two at halftime, that this game is in our hand now. Um, and you really started to feel Clemson take over. So. We don't get that emotional roller coaster throughout the season and not even in ACC championship games recently, right? Um, mm-hmm. And heck, for the most part, not in semifinals. Um, yeah. So this has to be probably one of the greatest college football playoffs semifinal games ever in the short, yeah. what, six-year history of it. Right. I think the only one people would compare it to would be that Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, yeah. But honestly, that was a game devoid of defense and, you know, they're I think this was a more complete, you know, traditional classic football game um, that I hope people are able to look beyond uh, some of the referee stuff and just really enjoy it for what it was. Two amazing yeah. programs competing. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, if we take a little, we're obviously like super close removed from this game. There's still one more left to play. Um, but if you kind of take a zoom out, it is interesting. You know, it's really been Alabama and Clemson at the top of college football. Urban Meyer era came and went. Um, Ohio State had its peak in 2014 and kind of underachieved after that. They were definitely the best team in the Big Ten, one of the top three or four teams in the country. 
Um, they always managed to lose a game to Iowa or Purdue or Michigan State or Penn State and never quite got over the over the hump. Under Ryan Day, first year here, you know, I think they peaked at the right moment with a lot of their talent. They've got a ton of guys who are either seniors or have already declared for the draft. Um, so they're going to lose some, but knowing the type of recruiting class they had, I think they're like fourth in the country um, and a lot of studs, especially at the receiver and skill positions. Ohio State's not going anywhere. I think it's just a matter of can they avoid that letdown game? Can they win the Big Ten every year? And are they going to be able to take that X up with more experience to beat a Clemson or to compete? Well, you know, normally I would say they they shouldn't have a problem in the Big Ten, but after seeing Minnesota play Auburn and, and beat them in their bowl game, um, and even Michigan was what weren't they up at halftime over Bama? I mean, then of course Michigan pulled Michigan, but um, you know, you saw some talent out there, uh, some really good teams in the Big Ten this year, and you know, just, it was hard to tell until they had to get out and play other people. But you know, I think probably a big reason why. Ohio State took this loss so hard, not just because of how the game played out and how close it was and how they were up 16-0 early and blew that lead, but this was like, you know, this was the year where it was all coming together. You mentioned all the guys that are going to be leaving this year. Now they'll be good next year. Will they be as good as they were this year? Probably not. Justin Fields will be a better quarterback. Um, But, you know, they're losing Dobbins. They're losing uh, Okuda, which, by the way, he he wrote a letter to his his now-deceased mother. in, in which he declared essentially for the NFL draft. And it was a really heartwarming uh, letter. Um, very well said. And I encourage people to go out there and look for it. And uh, credit to him for, for how well he played in this game. I thought you know, he's every bit deserving of his first-round draft pick. Um, obviously. Yeah, well, and I think, I think in general, just <clears throat> credit to Ohio State, period. You know, they came out to play. And they left it all out there on the field. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, kudos to their team, hats off to their coaches for preparing them and giving Clemson, again, one of the toughest challenges it's faced in years. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Um, it's, I, I think that's going to age well just in terms of one of those classic games that you're going to want to rewatch and revisit. I, I doubt their fans will, and they won't agree with us, but um, – you know, it is what it is. It's a it's a hurt that's going to sting for a long time. Maybe not so much as if um, if it happened in the national championship game. Uh, you know, in two thousand. Well, but I don't know. I and mean, in two thousand fifteen, when Cle- when Clemson went into play Alabama, we were wondering ourselves, was Clemson good enough to go toe to toe with Alabama? And we left that game being like, man, you know, we lost, but feel really good about this Clemson team. They 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 played hard and they were in it and they, they can play with Alabama. That made you feel really great going into the next year. Um, so, you know, I, I, f- I feel I'm trying to be human here. I feel a little bit for Ohio state and their fan base. I feel more so for their players, um, probably less so for their fan base, <clears throat> but yeah. um, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be back here every year. I know we probably kind of take it for granted at this point, uh, five years in a row now in the, in the playoff. Um, but, and we're seeing how tough it is this year to even just go to win back to back national championships, right? It's, it's a much tougher path this year than it was last year. And this team is every bit as good, if not maybe a little bit better. Um, but the competition from the top tier has really stepped up and it's, it's shown so far and we'll see what happens in the, in the natty. But, uh, I expect it to be another pretty thrilling affair. 
Yeah, definitely. I think something that um, was also not reported that much was uh, we all knew about the defensive coordinator moving on uh, to become the head coach of uh, Boston College. Um, one of the offensive assistants, Mike Yersich, is also going to be Texas's OC as well. Right. So Ohio State's having to not only replace you know a number of players but also coaches. Um, that's something we has Clemson have been fortunate enough to have continuity on, and they're going to have to go ahead and do that again. Yeah, we lose Jeff Scott. Um, so this is the first time in, in the past few years we're really seeing um, some attrition on the Clemson staff. We saw some after the 2016 championship game. Um, but yeah, we've been fortunate in that regard. So it'll be a test for day. You know, he's playing with Urban Meyer's players and the program that Urban Meyer bit, built. Now, credit to him. He had a phenomenal year. Ohio State won 19 games in a row coming into that um, game, and they, they blew people out all year long. So, you know, credit to him and his team for that. But um, we're about to, you know, we're going to see what he's made of as a coach here in the next few years. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I think one other thing uh, along the lines of coaching that I want to point out here, and I, this thought occurred to me as I was watching the, um, the Alabama mission game, you know, one of the announcers was talking about it. How good a coaching job Nick Saban did this year, and possibly one of his best with all with um, injuries and stuff like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, why was? And it, the thought occurred to me. You remember back in Nick Nick Saban's rat poison comment, where um, it was a couple years ago, and he was essentially going into the media and saying the the stuff you're the praise that you're heaping upon my team is rat poisoning. Um, they're not as good as people say they are, and he doesn't want them to think that. Um, Dabo does it completely different. What he says is. Um, that that they don't believe that you're as good as you really are. Um, yeah, it's just He's a more taking the opposite. Yeah, it's a more positive spin on things, and that's the difference between Dabo and Nick Saban. And you know, we'll see if Alabama's back uh, in, in full force next year. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we're starting to see kind of the the back end of the Nick Saban dominance. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, the story of this year with Alabama and like you know, whether or not Saban did a good job coaching this specific year, I think this year was a culmination or almost like a, a reckoning of what's been going on for years with his coordinator position and a lot of turnover there um, more so than ever this coming or this past season coming into this year. And that does pl- take its toll. And they certainly had a lot of talent coming back this season uh, that, you know, you could say like any coaches could, you know, call an offense with Devonte Smith and, um, you know, rugs and Jerry Judy and uh, Najee Harris and all that, and, you know, get 30 points a game. But um, I think a lack of continuity there at the, the coaching, you know, the coaching positions did ultimately come back to bite them. Alabama also had injury issues this year that hurt them too, but I, I just don't really see uh, a saving coaching job that is worthy of any type of praise this year. Um, no. Lost that Auburn game. And, and, and the, the the assistants moving on that's that's on the head coach too i mean mm-hmm. he's the one hiring these guys you know dabo does it a different way and it's worked out for him and it, it helps that dabo's just seems to be a lot more fun to be around than nick saban um but yeah. i mean well w- will you give me this and let's assume and even with mac jones in there but let's assume two it doesn't get injured and that's a different outcome maybe he's not as rusty in the lsu game and he's in there uh playing in the auburn game yeah, you know, I think clearly what we've seen is Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State are head and shoulders above everybody else in college football. But I could see a healthy Tua slipping in there and being, you know, having 
Alabama and legitimate top four elite teams rather than the three that we have right now in the playoff. We're obviously um, not putting Oklahoma uh, considering well, that big loss. I was just going to take the bait. Like Alabama doesn't allow 63 points to LSU. They put up a lot more than Oklahoma did. You know, they're, they're a much more complete team offensively. Uh, Oklahoma had a lot of guys out on defense. I think this is not your daddy's Alabama defense this year, but certainly from a coaching and preparation standpoint and talent, they would be a lot better than Oklahoma was. So um, I don't want to sit here and rail against the big 12 in Oklahoma. They do seem to come in every year and be the bridesmaid and lose by, you know, double digit points, never cover a spread, all of that. Um, so I'm kind of sick of seeing them in there, but you know, I guess they have fans with feelings too. Yeah. Well, and you know, they've always been cordial um, in all the games that we played against each other. You know, we've, we've hung out with Alabama fans many times now. Um, and I don't have a problem. I really haven't had a problem with them at all. And I, I appreciate the competition and heck, you know, that was the team that we wanted to beat. Um, yeah. And we, and we've been able to do it twice and they, they got our number twice there. Um, I will say this, we are kind of looking ahead to, to LSU. Um, what is going to be fun is LSU hasn't seen a Clemson this year on their schedule. That Alabama team that, that played them was, wasn't quite right. Again, with that two injury and defense, really not as good as it's been in the years past. Georgia is not a phenomenal team. Their offense really sputtered this year. Good defense, offense sputtered. Um, Auburn good on the uh, defensive side of the ball, not so much on offense. Um, and then Oklahoma was a pushover. So it's going to be, a, it's really shaping up to be a great national championship game. And I think just like you saw, you know, we saw coming into the Fiesta Bowl, we were saying that this was going to be the best team that either team has faced all year long. Now going into the national championship game, it's definitely going to be the best team LSU has faced all year long. The question is, was that Ohio State team better or is this LSU team going to be better? We're going to find out. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know that we've done enough of this. I thought Justin Fields played an incredible game. And, um, you know, he's not exactly a facsimile for Joe Burrow, uh, but he definitely was, was throwing dimes and, you know, causing havoc with his legs too, to some extent there. So uh, I think the coaching staff and our, our players definitely got a good dose of, uh, elite quarterback play this past weekend and that's going to help yeah it's not as elite as joe burrow um i think you know clemson really was going to make two or sorry um justin fields beat them uh, with his arm and you know for the most part he did great throwing the ball underneath they had a really good offensive game plan of giving him kind of nice easy quick throws a high success rate he did not test us downfield a lot but you're going to see that with joe burrow for sure so that's something clemson hasn't seen this year yeah. Um, you know, Ohio State put up 516 yards, uh, only scored 23 points though. But um, I, I think if you had to tell me over under, if you had asked me over under, I probably think LSU goes more than 516 yards on us. The question is going to be how many points uh, does that amount to? And what, what is our offense able to, able to produce? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a, could be another emotional roller coaster. <laughs> High Indeed. stress game. It's not going to be forty-four to sixteen. I'm almost positive. Yeah, I'm picturing one of the more a game akin to the first two Alabama national yeah. championships, which both a lot of fun. Both took years off my life. Um, but you know, it, the funny part is, you talk about Ohio State. You know, having a lot of guys that uh, are, are leaving this year. I mean, they're going to be down a Joe Burrow next year. 
And I'm certain they're going to lose a number of those skilled players as well. Um, this is their first year really showing that they can, they can, you know, kind of execute on this high powered offense thing. Um, I've no doubt they'll get a really good quarterback transfer or they've got someone waiting in the wings behind Burrow, but um, let's see how we play LSU. Let's see what their staying power is like. So let's say um, Joe Burrow, obviously going to the NFL because he's about 32. Um, <laughs> uh, it probably has a couple, couple uh, master's degrees at this point. Um, he was in a home alone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jake Fromm, uh, very possibly going to the NFL. Uh, this coming year. It'll be interesting to see how hard any of these teams come after Chase Bryce. I think he's going to USF. That's, that's a good point too, but um, Chase Bryce is... Oh, he's power five. He's, he's, yeah, he's better than... He's, he's better than that. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, it'd be a familiarity thing at that point, but I guess the one thing we haven't talked about, I, I feel like two is coming back to Alabama. I think he's going to do it. So he's supposed to be announcing Monday, I think. Yeah, I think something like that. Um, Sunday or Monday. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. You know, he's he's been injury prone. Like, does he want to risk another year with injury? I mean, either way, he's not going to be the first overall pick. That's going to be Joe Burrow this year and, and probably Trevor Lawrence next year. Um, so I don't know how much that factors into it. It really, I guess it depends on what he gets his draft grade back at. Um, yeah, my whole thing though is like he will be he'll be able to take basically a redshirt year in the NFL while getting a nice salary, and he'll be one year closer to free agency, which is really where the you know the big money is made in the NFL if you're not a top five pick. And secondly, I mean, I'm sure Alabama has a tremendous medical staff, but nowhere near you know what you would get in an NFL program, I would think. Yeah, if I was him, I wouldn't risk the injury and I'd go to the NFL. Right. Not to mention Alabama has a couple other good quarterbacks on their roster, uh, Mac Jones and to his brother. Exactly. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I think we've kind of wrapped up the Fiesta Bowl at this point. Um, we will find some time in some way or another uh, to talk about this LSU matchup before it happens. Um, that may be in an interview format with somebody. We'll have to see. Um, the number of us are going to be headed down to the game. So take a look on social media. We'll probably be looking to meet up and tailgate with some people. So uh, keep a lookout for that. Uh, everyone traveling down there, be safe, be smart. Uh, LSU fans are another breed. Uh, New Orleans is a great town, but you know, kind of keep your head on a swivel down there and uh, have fun. It's such an awesome town, great food, good music. Get the hell off Bourbon Street. Go to Frenchman Street. Go elsewhere. Bourbon Street's insane. I'm probably not going to go there at all. Do Bourbon Street for like a couple hours the first night, maybe. Bourbon or Street, bur- yeah. Bourbon Street is like the whole, the entire city of Las Vegas. One night max. Walking around in the strip, yeah. One exactly. night max and get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see everybody at the blackjack table at Hairs. <laughs> right, now you're talking. I will be at some oyster bar and jazz joint. It's probably my plan. There you go. Um, good stuff. Well, uh, very fun recapping this. We got to go find Cody. Find out where he went. But um, thanks everyone for tuning in. It's been an incredible season. I cannot believe we're staring down after 29 wins, a potential back-to-back natty against LSU, who actually has an offense and possibly going 30-0. It's just insane times. So 
make sure regardless of what happens you take a moment to appreciate this era appreciate this team what they've done on their own um we talked about oh man you know we're losing the power rangers and albert huggins and um, hunter renfro and all kinds of guys like this team stack them up against any of these clemson teams we've seen uh it's been incredible great to see them come out here against ohio state prove it and uh, let's see what they can do see if they've got that champion caliber next week yeah and um there's more of where this came from too see that number one recruiting class got a lot of the same guys coming back next year so i will say this clemson fans if we do happen to lose don't sound like ohio state fans um <laughs> be better than that unless for some reason the refs actually do screw us in which case do whatever you want yeah, yeah. <laughs> um we will comport ourselves with the class of clemson fans and look like these are a vocal minority of ohio state fans sounding off too so um i do want to acknowledge that but um, always fun to be petty sometimes in victory. So uh, with that, let's wrap there, Ben. want to thank everyone for tuning in. You guys know where to find us. Uh, we love those reviews coming in. Tell a friend. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this for the first time. So welcome to the podcast. You guys should subscribe to us. You can find us. Just search for Clemson in your podcast out of choice. I'm going to wrap there. Thank you. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.